This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Well, good morning, everybody, and it's clearly um, a very classic Friday when we have a slight technical hitch this morning for our guest. But hopefully, we will have our wonderful guest, Paul Burrows, joining us shortly. And Paul will be telling us about his very interesting role. Um, Paul actually hasn't always been working in special education. I'll tell you a bit about him and then when Paul hopefully joins us in a minute, he could tell you a little bit more about his career. Um, but although Paul is currently the head teacher of the Royal School for the Deaf in Derby, and this is a non-maintained residential special school for students who are deaf and with hearing impairment, but Paul actually has spent most of his career in secondary mainstream schools um, before more recently entering special education. Paul's actually been a teacher for over 30 years, uh, which is amazing, like a a real true uh, educator there with over three decades of um, education under his belt. So really excited for Paul to join us shortly and hear what he has to say about his current role working at school. It's also really interesting, lots of my students ask me about how they kind of get into management and into leadership and that's maybe something that we can ask Paul today as well, how he ended up going from being a classroom teacher um, into actually being a head teacher and I know some of my students that are listening in, I can see some of you are here listening, you might not know yet whether you Um, want to be moving into leadership yourself at this point it might be something you don't figure out till later on in your career but all I would say is um, just keep an open mind because you never know where your career might take you for example even for me I certainly did not think that I would end up moving into being um, a primary school uh trainee teacher (laughs) educating the new generation of teachers as well so you certainly never know um, which way your um, career might go so I'm just communicating with our speaker now uh, Paul and hopefully Paul will be coming along to join us really soon um, and he will be telling us all about his current role so Let me just, uh, apologies, just opening up Podbean there on my phone to try and invite our guest and hopefully he will be able to join us. Um, If you're listening live, so between 11 and 12 this morning, you can type any live questions in the chat for me and we can share them with um, our guest as well. And hopefully he will be here very soon. Um, Just resharing the link and then hopefully Paul will be able to join us. Um, The other thing really just to throw out there, if you're an educator listening in, is that we are always interested in having educators come on to Teachers Talk Radio. So if you might be interested in coming and being one of my very special guests, or maybe that should be, I guess, very important teachers uh, of it. I'm not sure actually that, that sounds uh, that good. But if you would like to be a guest at some point in the future, um, do feel free to get in touch with me. 
drop me a message via Twitter or um, Instagram or drop me an email and would be happy to talk to you um, about coming on the show in the future. So maybe you are passionate about um, something that you would like to share with our guests. Um, Hopefully, Paul will be joining us very shortly. It seems we just have a slight um, technical glitch with the studio this morning. Um, Hi, good morning. Who's this? Paul. (laughs) Yay, Paul. I didn't recognise your username, but you're here. (laughs) I've switched phones. That's what I've done. Paul, you're so clever. I'm so happy. Oh, no. Patience pays off, Paul. What can I say? Oh, apologies. Apologies. No apologies needed. We're just so glad you're here. So welcome. Hi. <laughs> How's your week been apart from the last 20 minutes? <laughs> um, I, I've aged uh, a few years in the last 20 minutes. Um, no, been a good week. We're, we're week three of term. Um, yep. it's, it's bonkers busy as is every school, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, loving life still. Huh? That's fantastic. Love to hear that. Um, do you have half terms like um, other schools, Paul? You've got half term coming up in October? Absolutely. But it feels a long way away. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, it'll be here before you know it. And the good news is the weekend is even closer, Paul. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, welcome, welcome. And let's um, dive straight in. because we've got lots of listeners that I know have come and listened to you this morning. So very exciting uh, because we have not had someone come on Teachers Talk Radio in your role before. So maybe the first question for you, Paul, um, can you just start maybe by telling us a little more about your current school and what is it like working in a special school for the deaf? Okay, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not quiet. Uh, as some people may imagine, you know, a deaf school, it's, it's silent. It, it's not at all. It's, it's busy. It's noisy. It's vibrant. It's everything that you would want from a school. Um, and I have a, a phrase that probably I will roll out three or four times during this podcast, which is my children could do everything but hear. Wow. So you expect them to be laughing, joking. I have some fantastic students, I have some naughty students, I have some cheeky students, I have some quiet ones, I have some loud ones, I have some sporty ones, I have some arty ones, just like you'd find in every other school. So it's amazing. What we do here is um, all our students are profoundly deaf. Um, they're all, they, all the students actually are, are aided, hearing aided in, in whatever form of aid they, they choose. We have, we have deaf staff as well. Not all of them are, are aided. It's a, it's a personal choice as, as, a, as an adult. Some, some of our deaf staff will choose not to have a hearing aid. Um, but what we do is promote uh, BSL and English, spoken English in equal measure. So our, all our students have lessons in BSL and lessons in English. And that kind of, that's, that's what sets us aside, I think, a little bit. We have teachers that can sign to the students directly. So it's kind of like that direct teaching, which is important. There's no kind of loss of translation, as it were, which is fantastic. And what happens then is that we, we're 
every child can speak to every adult and that means they can develop their own relationship with them it's not through a third party and what we see is as i said a minute ago that we've got cheeky ones and funny ones and sarcastic ones and <laughs> naughty ones because they develop a personality that they're not someone else's voice if that makes sense which uh, you know, can happen to deaf people if everything's through a third party, everything's through an interpreter, your own personality doesn't necessarily thrive. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Well, it sounds like a really vibrant place to be, Paul. Thanks for that introduction to your school. Um, I've got so many questions. <laughs> I've got so many questions. That interesting. I, t I was telling my students yesterday that um, you were coming on Teachers Talk Radio today, yeah. and and the first thing one of them asked me, they said, "Is is Paul deaf?" No. And I thought that was that was really showed why we need to have these conversations because you know clearly clearly we do not all know enough about what these schools need to look like and what is happening. So already you've told us um, so much. Something else I want to jump in with. Yep. So then, is part of your criteria when you hire teachers that they have to know British Sign Language or BSL? No, it's not part of the criteria. It's not a, um, a must. Desirable, yes, but not a must. Um, I, it, I mean, the question, you know, am I deaf is a very good question. I've, I've come into the school, uh, I've only been in school a year, so I got appointed kind of 18 months ago, but I started okay. work just over a year ago. And that, uh, I couldn't sign at all. And I, I actually remember when I was on interview, uh, when I was called for interview, the night before interview, I thought, well, what I could do is go on YouTube and learn how to say good morning and how are you and all that kind of stuff and be really showy off and think, oh, God, how, how amazing am I um, that I've learned this thing. But actually, in my head, I thought that would be disrespectful um, I've gone on to, you know, somebody random on YouTube to learn. And actually, what if I'd learned something incorrect? Because I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. So I, I did the opposite, which was fun to up and say, hi, I'm Paul. I've got all these other skills, um, but I can't sign. But I can promise I can look you all in the eye. I, I'll try my best. I will mm -hmm. try and learn how to sign. And um, clearly, I managed to, to fool them all and, and pull the wool over their eyes, and I, and I got the job. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but it was important. That, that, that respect thing is so important. And the deaf community are, are big on respect. And, and, and quite rightly, um, I think we all like to be respected, and, and we admire people that, that show us respect, don't we? Exactly. So true. It's all about mutual respect, isn't it? What, whatever age of learner you're dealing with, what, whatever disabilities they may have, that, that's fantastic. And one more thing I just want to raise at the start of the yeah. show, Paul, like what is the, the correct kind of terminology that the students of your school prefer? Um, so, so they refer to themselves as deaf or hearing yeah. impaired or yeah. what, what yeah. are the correct terms? Deaf and deaf and deaf and deaf. That is absolutely a must. And I can explain it, I'll perhaps visualise it for you. Hearing impaired is, is quite a common term, but if you say you're hearing impaired, it's like saying hearing's the thing to be, you're not there. You're mm -hmm. impaired in that. So what you're immediately doing is saying, or subtly saying, or actually reinforcing the message that you're not good enough to be the hearing, you're impaired in that, you've got a deficiency in that area. And they're deaf and they're proudly deaf. And there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with being proudly deaf. 
Excellent. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I was even wondering, you know, the correct terminology. I don't know anyone that's deaf kind of in my network. So I just wanted to make sure that I was, you know, using the, the correct terminology. And I think that's really useful for anyone listening as well, just to know, you know, how, how we should communicate with people and mm. use the language that they want to use. It's like saying to someone in a wheelchair, you, you, you can almost walk. I mean, you wouldn't do that. Mm, exactly no thank you Paul thank you for that uh gosh so yeah I've basically as long as it's okay I've got kind of about another six questions or so but I'm sure I I mean I've got a million questions um but I thought maybe we can start talking a a bit more about you a bit maybe about some of the differences between mainstream and special school a bit about what it's like to be ahead um and then maybe end with a bit of um kind of you could maybe give some advice and and talk about your own motivation does that sound like a good (laughs) session sounds perfect thank you (laughs) (laughs) we ramble on so as long as you've got (laughs) well I would love to have you here on Teacher Talk Radio literally all day but I'm aware (laughs) we've only got a slot and I know you're so busy and just so grateful you're here so so maybe let's start off then you told us a bit about your school um and for anyone just joining us Paul Burrows is head of the Royal School for the Deaf Derby but did you always want to be a teacher Paul? Um, the honest truth is no. I, I, I like school. I enjoyed school. I, I have fond memories of school. But no, teaching didn't cross my radar at all. Um, wow. And, yeah. <laughs> Until when? Until oh, when? <laughs> well, I mean, and, and this, is, this is a good story uh, for, for people that you teach with. Um, because I went to university and I did electronic engineering. I, done wow. that silly, I did that silly thing of doing maths, physics and chemistry A-levels. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I thought I'd be able to do something with that. And then engineering was a natural fit. And um, I, I went to university, I went to Newcastle University, loved university life, didn't quite love my studies, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I did become a bit disillusioned and a little bit, I'm not sure where I'm going. And it was... Perhaps these things are, 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 are fated, but I had a perchance conversation with somebody who had just started a PGCE and said to me, come and meet my tutor because um, you're doing maths and physics. Um, they might be interested in that. I said, yeah, of course. Not really expecting much, but um, I had a chat with this, um, the tutor. I don't even remember his name, Dave Stancliffe. I mean, it was a long time Ooh, ago. And, um, you know, life-changing conversation. It really was, who, who then just said, come and give it a go, and da-da-da-da-da. And then it, it gave me the motivation to finish my degree because I wasn't motivated, if the truth be known. I actually failed my first-year exams and had to resit them over the summer holidays. So things weren't heading in the right direction for me. But then I ended up with my PGC, and so uh, uh, at 22 years old, that's the first time I actually knew what I wanted to be, and that was a teacher. So I'm in the education business, clearly, and, you know, I know we start talking about careers earlier and earlier and earlier, which is great, and, and so it should be, but I'm living proof that even going, even at university, you can change your mind, and, and I still would like to think I've been successful in, in my chosen career. Wow, I love that. Such good advice. Yeah, it's, it's never too late to learn, and I think particularly in teaching, 
anything you've done before becoming a teacher is just life experience that that you can bring to the role. Hundred percent. I think I think your values are more important. You know, are you kind? Mm -hmm. Are you caring, nurturing, helpful? Can you give over some of yourself to other people? They're the they're the characteristics. There's the personality traits that nobody teaches you. If you've got them in you, then a good PGC course or a good be ed course or a good tutor will drag those things out of you to make you a good teacher definitely i love that good advice so if you're if you're listening and you're not a teacher uh paul and i are encouraging you to think about it 100 <laughs> percent. The, the profession requires good people. so oh, my, my, do my dog's agreeing paul that's all <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what I would say is the profession requires good people and good people are found in all walks of life. Definitely, 100%. So, sorry, I think it's just the postman. <laughs> so so um, tell us then, Paul, your, your career has been quite varied. And I know people that have seen um, our lovely Teachers Talk Radio promo flyers have seen a bit of what you've done. Um, could you maybe tell us a bit about that journey kind of and how you've ended up where you are now? Uh, absolutely. So uh, I did my PGC in physics, uh, I said in Newcastle, loved it, and um, literally had an opportunity to go anywhere in the country because um, I wasn't tied to anything. You, you're not necessarily tied at 22 to anywhere particular. So I applied for schools and jobs that I, I quite like the look at, and I ended up in Bury St Edmunds over in, 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 uh, in Suffolk. And that was my first job as a teacher of physics. Um, wow. And it was great, fantastic. And I mean, I'll show you how old I am. It was back in the day where we had chalkboards, and I was the I was the envy of the science department because I got the lab with one of those rolling boards. So I don't know if anyone remembers those. You, you, you could write on the board and then roll it up, and then a new <laughs> a new bit of screen would appear. And it's like, oh my god, how come Paul gets that room? Well, he's young and new, and you know. <laughs> It's amazing. You were um, living the dream there, Paul. Oh, I was. I was. Wow. And then, gosh, then then this thing called the overhead projector appeared. Oh my word! Well, <laughs> it was it was like all my Christmases. It was amazing. So we had the, I had the overhead projector in the department. Oh, brilliant! You know, happy days. But yeah, so I, I stayed at my first school for five years. So I just got. Oh, well, I was going to say better and better. That's a little bit arrogant of me. But I felt more and more comfortable, got more and more experience. And, and I was loving my, my teaching completely. And then after five years, I, I was there five years, I, I jumped straight into becoming a head of science in another school. Wow. Um, which was lovely um, over in Peterborough. And, you know, that, 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 that's grounding for you. I'm, I'm, I'm there, with, you know, late 20s, head of science, probably the second youngest person in that whole department, certainly the second youngest head of department in that school. And you just, you just do what you do and you, you go through it and, and you, you, you stick to your values and all that kind of stuff. And that, that was great. Love that. So I was head of science there for a few years. And then um, I did something... I mean, I look back at it now and go, God, crazy fool. But um, and I, but again, maybe it tells you something about teachers or, or me. I don't know. Um, I was looking for another job and there were some family circumstances that meant we were going to move mm -hmm. to the kind of Nottingham area anyway, certainly Midlands area. And um, I, I stumbled across this job and um, it was a school that had literally just gone into special measures. And they were looking for head of science. 
And I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give back a little bit. I've, I've, I've enjoyed my teaching so far. I think I can go and make a difference to this school. It was in, it was in Nottingham, in a community mm-hmm. called Clifton, which is a, a large estate in Nottingham, deprived. And um, I thought, yes, yeah, special measures, I, I, can, I can support that and nail that. My word, it was hard. It was really, wow. really hard. And I remember... I remember going to see my mentor was the deputy head and I remember saying at half term, October, October half term, I'd been there six or seven weeks and I said, I can't do this. I'm really sorry. I've let you all down. I just can't do it. The, the, the kids are too hard. They're not accepting me. The staff are too hard. They're not accepting me. And you, you dig deep and you dig deep. And, and he said to me one thing, he said, Paul, totally get that. I mean, I think, you know, looking back in there, the best mentor you could have in the world. Looking back, he said, I, I'm only going to ask one thing of you. And he says, give it till Christmas. And I went, I really can't, John. I, I don't think I can. I said, please, just give it to Christmas. And I promised him I would. And I know I was going to hate it all the time. And I spent my October half term looking for new jobs and getting my CV up to date and thinking how on earth am I going to write that I've, I've jacked in this job after seven or eight weeks. Um, but I stayed till Christmas and then another six and a half years after that because I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you have me going there. <laughs> so I spent what seven, happened? it's what the longest the I've been point? at a school. What was the turning been, point then? Uh, the turning point was... Um, and this is, I mean, this will come in advice, I think, later on, is that um, you stick at it. Kids don't trust easily, but when they do, they absolutely trust you. And it took a while because the story is, you know, before me, the school had gone in special measure, they had supply after supply after supply. And I went in and... Oh, you know, they were like, well, you're going to last a week. Look at you. And I lasted another week. And then the next week, they were like, well, okay, you've lasted a week. I bet you can't last two weeks. And they just made life difficult for weeks and weeks. And eventually, one by one, you wear them down. I mean, they're wearing you down. My word, are they wearing <laughs> you down? But you don't show that. If you've got mm-hmm. something inside you, you don't show that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember coming back after October half term and it was like, okay, hmm, he's been here. He's come, come back. back. He's come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then after Christmas, my word, he's absolutely come out. Maybe he's all right. Maybe he's going to stay. Oh. And like I say, you end up making relationships with people. You, they, they see that you're, you want to teach them. You want to encourage them. You want to help them. And that, that absolutely was a turning point. And, and after that January, and I remember seeing John and he just, you know, you don't have to say things sometimes, do you? It's just that look um, that he gave me a look and I gave him a look and it was like, uh, thanks. That was the best advice I think I've ever had. So, yeah, love that, love that. Seven years there and lots of, lots of reasons, rationale, but the school ended up closing because it was going to merge with another school. And again, I took the opportunity to um, become an assistant head in another school. So I did. I went, uh, and I went to an assistant head in the school Mm-hmm. Um, which was great. Um, and then probably another turning point was, I would say, six, seven years ago, seven years ago now, that I went from, these were all mainstream schools. I'd gone through a very much a science, well, physics and science, and then head of mm-hmm. science, and then assistant head. And my assistant head role was, I love data. I love 
information, facts, figures, and that. So I got myself a bit of a reputation in terms of being able to analyze data, performance data, and whatever. And so we were doing loads of good work with schools. Um, and I got kind of did get kind of headhunted to go into another school and, and help with their data strategy. And I did, and it was lovely. And I ended oh. up in Sheffield and I ended up running the, the data uh, group for the, for the city of Sheffield, which I loved. Um, it was really important work. And then again, it was like, okay, where am I going to go with this? And then this, um, this deputy head role came up in a, in a special school and it was like, really, can I, do I want to? Anyway, I, I remember having the conversation with the head and it was mm-hmm. a school for autistic young people. And I said, I'll be honest, you know, in, in 20 odd years of teaching, of course, I've met autistic people and I've taught autistic people, but, I'm not really a teacher of autism, really. I'm not, I'm not the best teacher there. And she just looked at me and said, oh, absolutely, Paul, but I've got, I've got a school full of autism experts. What I don't have is, is someone that can write me a timetable, that can lead on teaching and learning, that can run my data for me, and all mm-hmm. the other skill set. And she said, so I can teach you the autism bit if you can teach me uh, to timetable and do all the other stuff. And I went, okay, I can do that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love so, that. And- yeah, and, and the rest was history. And the rest is history. So then deputy head there, and then the same kind of thing happens. You know, I'm kind of gone full circle to my, my previous question was, can I sign? No, I came to the school and said, I can't sign. I can do this, 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 and this. And uh, the truth is, I, on interview, I was the only non-signing, non-deaf person at interview. Um, and I got the job because you can, there are things that you can learn and, and you show the right attitude towards that people people look for all sorts of skills and you tick as many boxes as you can mm-hmm. and you know the one box that you can't tick hopefully it's a box that they can say well actually we can we can tick that for you at some point in the future and, and that's where I am amazing and then so you came in 18 months ago uh unable to sign yeah. what has that changed oh god absolutely um <laughs> There's a formal qualification route for signing, level one, level two, level three. And in, in anyone that's in education would know that a level two is a GCSE equivalent, level three is an A-level equivalent. Wow, and it goes, it goes quite all, high level. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, it goes up to level four, five, six. Um, so you get a level six. So, so people that would, would know of interpreters are kind of level six qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in, in one year, I, uh, I passed my level one and I passed my level two. So I've got the equivalent of a GCSE in BSL after one year here. And I've started my, my level three, which is my equivalent of an A level. So I had my first lesson last week in, in level three BSL. And how was it? Oh, it's amazing. It's lovely. Um, and <laughs> it, what, what, what's fascinating is that. I need BSL for my role, clearly. Uh, you know, I'm on the gate in the morning or I'm walking around school and I'm saying, hi, how are you? You all right? And, you know, but I also need banter with, with the kids and the staff. So I'm, you know, trying to learn some, some just conversational things as well as, you know, when you're learning BSL, you, you can imagine you do the, you know, the nouns uh, and it's things, objects. You might do numbers, you might do colours, days of the week and all that kind of stuff. You have to do all that kind of stuff. But it's, yeah. the, it's, the, it's the conversational stuff which I, I particularly enjoy and, and, I, and that's what I use most. And yeah, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm learning how to, to have a bit of 
banter with the kids and and letting them show me their personalities, which is amazing. So I, I really, really advocate for learning BSL. It's, it's simple. It's not simple. Sorry, that, that's that's a that's a rude thing for me to say. The the you have to put effort in, mm-hmm. and there's a simplicity about it where some things are really go. Oh, of course, I can't because we're not doing anything visually, but. You know, quite simply, if we say morning, that there's a, there's an upwards movement of your hands to replicate sunrise. Oh, the and sunrise. The, and yeah. in the evening, there's a downward movement of your hand to replicate the sun going down. And you think that's beautiful. It's wow. so visual. It, it's it is lovely. It is lovely when when you get in there and you get a great teacher teaching you. It, it, it's amazing. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm sure you're inspiring lots of our listeners. I know lots of my students are listening in who might be looking now at considering trying to find placements in, um, you know, schools for the deaf, because I think, you know, to just be able to have that relationship with with students it's so important to have that inclusivity isn't it absolutely absolutely yeah i mean um, funny I, I i was actually at the university of derby yesterday i was they, they asked me to do a little guest lecture only 15 minute slot on on inclusion and diversity and, and that was my message to them i said you know inclusion is about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and so i, I mean i don't want to give it away but i, I start with signing and i make yeah. them feel really uncomfortable so i start the whole 30 seconds and i i end with Oh, it's okay. I can talk. And I say to them, the look of relief on your face is amazing. But then I just drop in. I say, what if you never have that look of relief because you can't hear? And I just leave that hanging for a minute. And and I I try and get them to walk in someone else's shoes just for 30 seconds and and how difficult it is. And what, and get them to think about what if that's all day, every day for all your life. Oh my gosh, you're giving, you're giving me goosebumps. That's such an important message, Paul. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Um, now, the next question, uh, where I told my students you were coming on today and they've asked me um, a question for you, if that's okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, because at the moment, lots of my students are looking at, you know, finding placements in schools mm-hmm. and, a, and a lot of them wonder, you know, should they get more placements in mainstream schools or in, or in special education? And they wanted me to ask you, what do you think as, as a head teacher at a special school, what do you think are the main differences between mainstream and special education? Okay. Um, firstly, I'd say schools are schools are schools are schools. Schools, whether they're secondary or mainstream, have a head teacher. They have teachers. They have classrooms. They have a teacher's desk. They have teachers on break duty. They have students. They have parents. They have websites. You know, structurally, they're the same. And that's important because if you go into thinking that they're going to be different, then you're wrong and your expectation level is wrong. You should be able to go into school and say, I understand the basis of this. I'll have a timetable. I'll be expected to deliver this message to that group of kids and later on that message to that group of kids. And what you shouldn't be doing is watering that down. You shouldn't be Mm -hmm. saying, ah, actually... I shouldn't need to plan lessons for my special kids because they're special kids and perhaps I can get away with a bit more because there's only six in a class. No, that's the wrong thing to do. You should be going into it with that high expectation because if you don't, you're you're saying to that individual student that's looking at you, I don't deserve the best. And that's such a poor message. That student that looking at you with the awe and wonder of every other five-year-old, 10-year-old, 16-year-old, maybe 16-year-olds don't look at you with awe and wonder, perhaps not. Um, <laughs> but the principle is, 
every student looking at you expects the very best of you. Gosh, why, why wouldn't they? They don't expect half of you. They don't want the poor version of you. They don't want the old, tired, couldn't be bothered version of you. They want that vibrancy. They want you, you know, I'm a science teacher. They want me when I'm teaching gravity to stand upon the desk and, you know, drop the prit stick on the floor and say, wow, <laughs> that's what gravity does. And that's what they want and they deserve it. The interesting thing perhaps about special school children is some of them have had a struggle to get there. And perhaps their previous history or their previous experience of school has been slightly more negative. That's not a criticism of, of, of mainstream college. I, I spent the formative years of my life loving mainstream college, uh, schools. So it's just that occasionally you can't quite conform in the right way or you sit outside the norm, whatever norm means. And your experience hasn't been as good. When you come to special school, I think that's the fundamental difference. We, we've got the ability to personalize and adapt and be fluid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to exemplify that. So we've got class sizes slightly smaller, you know, sixes or sevens generally, um, okay. with two or three adults in that room. And you can have a student just like in every other school that might be having a bad day, a bad, we don't know. It could be, you know, and unfortunately these things happen. Somebody close to them is ill or dying or the pets die, whatever it is. They're having a bad day. They haven't had breakfast that morning. You know, they, they, they can't afford whatever. They've had to walk to school in the rain in a, in a coat and they haven't got a raincoat and it's leaky. Whatever it is, they're having a bad day. What we can do in special schools is recognise that a little bit quicker and what we can do is say, you know what, the most important thing for you right now is to come with me and we'll find a space and we'll go and have a cup of tea or hot chocolate. Or we might recognise that someone's anxious, kicking off. They, and what we can do is recognise the signs. And for some students, that's a tap of the desk and they might be just tapping the desk. And in mainstream schools, generally what happens at that point is it's ignored and the taps get a little bit louder and they might just start with their pen tapping the desk a little bit more and you can see them getting agitated. So I know I've done this as a mainstream teacher. What you can do is you give them that teacher look. And for these kids, that they're not bothered about that look at this moment because whatever's going on in their lives is more important than that teacher look. And that tap just gets louder. And actually they're saying to you, please, I need some help. And in a mainstream classroom, you haven't got time to give that help. And so that tap on the desk becomes a refusal, put the pen down, I'm not going to do that work. Or actually it might mm -hmm. be, I'm going to knock my exercise book off the desk at that point. Mm -hmm. And then what happens in a mainstream classroom, generally the teacher then raises their voice perhaps or goes and stands over them, looms over them and says, pick that book up now, young man, whatever it is. And suddenly there's a confrontational situation and invariably that young person ends up walking out the room and I've been there, I've done it, I've seen people stand in the doorway and then suddenly it's an incident and the teacher, what happens is you've got 29 eyes looking at you going, ooh, Paul's just walked out of the room, what are you going to do, mate? Because that's what kids do and mm. there's an incident where they didn't need to be. So what we do in special schools is recognise the early signs and go, ooh, Paul's tapping his desk at the moment. Like, Poppy, can you just take Paul out for a minute? And that's what we do. And we walk mm. around the block or we go and make a cup of tea 
And there's no loss of learning to anyone else in the classroom because there's teachers in the room still teaching. And the young man, Paul, comes back in the room after a walk around the, the, the school with Poppy and he sits back down and he's ready to learn. And we've mm -hmm. lost 10 minutes of learning for Paul, but everyone else has learned. And actually Paul's now in a place and he can learn for the rest of the day. That's the fundamental difference, that ability to be fluid Mm -hmm. And that's not a criticism of anybody. It's a staffing ratio more than anything else. But when you get the setting right and the resource right, kids mm -hmm. can thrive. So I love this, Paul. Talk to us then. You say you've got about about six or seven in a class. Yeah. So what is what does the, the adults in the room look like in that kind of general class? <clears throat> yeah, we, we, we'll have a teacher. Um, yeah. And some of our students get one-to-one -one support for their education and we will sometimes also have a, a more fluid communicator in that class. Mm -hmm. So why, why might we have that? Well, we are, like me, I'm on a journey for delivering, uh, for, for learning sign language, sorry. I'm on that journey, but I can't stand in a class and teach GCSE physics in BSL because I, I don't have the vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So that's why we need communicators in that classroom. We, we call them EAs, education assistants, to support the communication. So, the, so if you've got a member staff that we've appointed fairly recently that is on a journey like me, level one, level two signing, then we would support that class with um, someone that could, could help with a specific vocab. So you, you'll always have a teacher. You'll, you'll sometimes have a one-to-one -one EA T-A-E-A, -E and you, you sometimes have a, a communicator as well, depending on the signing ability of, of, of the, the rest of the adults in the room. Brilliant. And then when you said about that six or seven students, are they grouped by age, like in normal mainstream, or by needs, or how do you group your students? It, it's predominantly age. In in the primary, we, we were three school, uh, a free school. We were through school. Sorry, I didn't put my teeth in this morning, Poppy. Um, <laughs> it we <is> were Friday. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, we, we were through school, so we age three to age nineteen. So Wowzers. when we have we have year groups, we 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 aspire to have year groups of around about ten, twelve. So we run in two classes per year group. L certainly in the primary area. You know, if we haven't quite got that number, what we might do is have a mixed year three, four class, for example. But predominantly age um, is, is, is what we do. Fantastic. Thanks for clarifying that, Paul. Wow. So I'm making so many notes. I'm sure all our listeners are learning a lot as well. It's so helpful of you to go through things. Um, and then so you're teaching now as head teacher at the Royal School for the Deaf. What is it like being a head teacher? I mean, I'm sure that's what we all want to know. And, and be honest, were you nervous on day one? honestly I wasn't um I do remember sitting in my office I, I mean this sounds a bit rude and I'm saying and arrogant but I, 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 I changed office so I had the office repainted new furniture and all that but for a really good reason because uh I'm looking out of my window now and the students walking past my office and that's what I wanted I wanted to be the head teacher that that as the students walk past my room, they wave at me and I say hello and how are you and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that was important to me. So I did that. And I do remember, though, answering your question, I do remember actually sitting in the office and I did close the door and um, I went, oh, OK, Paul, you're here now. So there was, a you know, not a talking to in any way, but there was a very much a, yes, I'm here now. This is what you want. 
go and do it now. So, and I did. First day was incident day, so that was, that was okay. I, you know, I stand in front of the staff and, you know, believe it or not, I, I don't mind talking. Um, so that was okay. But, um, and, um, and this is a true anecdote, poignant story, and it will only ever happen to people that were in my situation that started, um, when I did. So we're, privilege is the wrong word when I tell you my story. I didn't understand what it meant to be a head teacher till the end of the week because at the end, so on the Thursday night of my first week as head teacher, Thursday night at six o'clock, I go home and you put the news on and the Queen had died. And it was, wow, okay. And well, I need to do something. I didn't know what I needed to do, but I needed to do something. So um, I'm emailing, or well, actually we were WhatsApping my leadership team saying, right, we've got to do something tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what we had to do. And we were searching stuff and I said, right, I'm going to start a PowerPoint, da, 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 da. And I remember the next morning, Friday morning, and the message had gone out that night before, you know, and apologies, everyone, I don't really want to be me emailing you at seven or eight o'clock at night. However, just to let you know, there's going to be a special assembly 9.30 in the morning because I need to talk to the kids about the Queen. So that's what we did. So I spent my night doing that. And I remember that you asked the question, what's it like to be a head teacher? That's when you realise there's a responsibility to there. Nobody in that room knew what it was like mm-hmm. to, to have a monarch dying. Nobody did yeah. because none of us had ever had that. So I had to be a head teacher when our monarch had died and everybody is looking at you to see mm-hmm. how you're acting, how you're responding, your body language, your, you know, you don't make jokes at that point, but how do you become, how are you meaningful? How are you bringing people with you how you showing them how to act and behave and I felt I didn't feel the weight of it not in a negative sense whatsoever but I felt the responsibility and the importance of that people look to you as the head teacher in strange unusual circumstances and how you respond is key how you how your values and your personality to an extent but how you portray yourself is key and I, and you know, people say schools reflect and, and, and take on the, the values of the head teacher. Wow, yeah, I, I believed it at that moment. I really did. So it was poignant. It was important. Yeah. Very, very news. And like I say, there will be, I don't know, a group of 50, 60, 70 heads across the country that did the same thing as me because they started <laughs> yeah. that week. Hmm. <laughs> And nothing could have prepared you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's not in the how to become a head teacher handbook or whatsoever. <laughs> of course not. Wow. Well, obviously, you know, all the all this time later, you're still enjoying being a head pool. So that's great to hear. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, we're coming towards um, the end of the show. I've just got two more questions for you, Paul, if that's okay. okay. And for anyone just joining us, we're talking to Paul Burrows, who is head of Royal School for the Deaf in Derby. Um, so I wondered, Paul, as you know, I work um, training primary primary school teachers. Yeah. What is the key advice that you would give to them or to anyone else who's at that very start of their teaching career? Um, my takeaway is um, be yourself. Um, I've I've been a I mean it used to be called an NQT mentor, but an, an ECT mentor these days. I've I've been an, a, a mentor for tens of of. of trainee teachers and new teachers of profession and I always say be yourself because 
Um, you can go and watch other people and you can go and watch people that have been teaching two years, 20 years, whatever, and everything in between. And you go, wow, wow, wow. And my advice is don't be them. Be yourself because it takes too much energy to be somebody else. So if you're naturally strict, be strict. If you're naturally jokey, be jokey. If you're naturally organized, be organized. If you're naturally disorganized, I'm afraid be disorganized, but deal with it because you can't be somebody else. What you have to do is go and watch that teacher that's been teaching 20 years and that teacher that's been teaching two years and go, I get that. I love that. I can take that little bit of them, stick it in my pocket, and I'll go and see that teacher, and I'll take a little bit of that. And this is my worst class, and I'm going to go and see that teacher with my worst class and go, oh, my word, yes, I hadn't thought of that. And you take all these things, you pickpocket teachers, but what you don't do is copy them. What you do is I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that, and I'll do it in my way, thank you very much, because if you do it in anyone else's way, you will exhaust yourself for sure. That's my advice. My top tip is also stick with it because invariably, and, and you know, I know these things are sometimes twee, but uh, invariably you start and you have this honeymoon period and then it gets hard. Stick with it. Go through it. Go through that pain barrier. And what you will find is that the class that you hated, the one that gave, you know, little Johnny's in there that always gives you a hard time and the one that you can't discipline and whatever, whatever it is that about this class you don't get on with and you know they don't like you, invariably by the end of the year, they're your favourite class. Oh, I love that. Such good advice. You, you've given such an inspiration, I think, today, Paul. That's so lovely. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Um, and great to hear you've been educated over 30 years. And I'm sure lots of my trainees listening, you know, you equally can embrace this career for decades. Teaching just really is amazing. So, yeah, listen to Paul. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> um, and final question then, Paul. And then what we'll do, I'll just um, end by playing the news again uh, for our listeners. So, You've achieved so much. Where do you go from here? And what motivates you, like today, on a bit of a, a rainy Friday morning to keep working hard? Oh, I mean, that's, that's, it. that's such an easy question because I, I, I can literally look out my window now and, and I can see my children walking past. Hmm. That's it. That's what motivates me. And I know there's a job to do here. I know I can add value to that. And I know I can enrich these people's lives in, in ways that are, that are unknown. It's a, it's a, again, it's a little bit of difference between special and mainstream. It, you know, you're, you're teaching the, a lot of your students will go to mainstream school and that, you know, absolutely fantastic. And at mainstream school, what will happen at Christmas is your teachers will get loads of cards, soap and, boxes of chocolates and all that because that's the reward that you get in mainstream teaching in special education teaching you, you don't always get that you don't get the kids opening the door for you because they don't think about that you know if you're struggling carrying 20 books they don't really see that because they're a little bit immersed a little bit in themselves that's not them being rude but what you do get is you might get them coming to your lesson the next day and they start attending and then when you hear the backstory and you hear some of their, their lives and the journeys they've had for them to get up in the morning and come to your school, it's massive. I'm not going to name any names, but I've got, I've got a great little anecdote where we had somebody come um, about six months ago and I chatted to the mum and 
she says, um, the, the young man has got some sensory issues and his thing was all about socks and footwear. And his mum, I remember his mum saying to me, um, in the mornings he could never find the right pair of socks or he could never, and, and, and so the day he started badly and he'd never come to school. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, I've got to tell you, Paul, said um, he came to school on his first day and she said she came downstairs the next morning to get breakfast ready and the boy's shoes, he'd put them by the front door. Oh, wow. And this was a, I can't, I'm not going to give his age, but it was a young man and she'd never, ever had that experience in her life. And she t told me she welled up. Wow. That's what, that's the reward you get. And, and, and that motivates you. You know, chocolates are lovely. And honestly, if any of your listeners want to send me chocolate, I'd be more than happy to receive it. <laughs> um, but that's not what I'm in it for. Um, I'm, I'm in it for the, that, that unknown reward, that, that, that reward that you actually can miss if, you, if you're not careful. Um, that's what you do it for. That's what motivates you, gets you out of the bed in the morning. And I know there's a, there's a world out there and, you know, I, I'm not deaf and, you know, I, 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 I can empathise. What I spend my time doing is working with hearing and deaf community and, advocating perhaps or perhaps interfacing is a better word I, I want to be that bridge and say come on deaf people come and look around my school I'm so proud when I show people around my school and I love it and they see the, the children and, and I take them to a lesson and you know they're learning Romeo and Juliet in English and they go really can deaf kids do Romeo and Juliet yes of course I can and we walk around we walk around the corridor and there's a poster about Duke of Edinburgh but really, did the deaf kids go on Duke of Edinburgh? Yes, they do. We go into the science room and there's Bunsen burners out and the kids are all blowing things up. Really? <laughs> yes, they can. My kids can do everything but hear. And I love showing people around and I love making that, that, that kind of interface of advocacy for the deaf community because I need hearing people to say, yes, of course. And, you know, it, it stretches out into the wider world. And I know when you're deaf and you're going for a job interview and in, you know, on the application form it says, are there any accommodations we need? And everyone's trying to be inclusive and diverse and supportive. And you tick that box said, yes, please, can I have an interpreter for my interview? Well, I'm not sure everybody does that. I'm, I'm sure some application forms go in the bin sometimes, I'm afraid. And I'm saying, no, let's stop that practice let let's let's see them for the people they are and let's you know what it is it's our own embarrassment mm -hmm. you know if you see a deaf person in you know i guess at anglia ruskin you've had freshers week over the last week mm -hmm. if if you've seen a deaf person or someone with hearing aids in the middle of the the foyer or the or the atrium or whatever it is what have you done if you approached them probably not why it's your own embarrassment. You know you can't talk to them. You know you can't sign. But you know what? They're just crying out for someone to go up to them and say, hi, how are you? And read them and, and talk to them and maybe get your phone out and tap, hello, my name is Paul, and show them it. And just include them. And if the more of that that can happen, the more of some loud mouth head teacher like me saying, come on, guys, let's, we can do this, showing them that it's the right thing to do, then that's what motivates me. That's what gets me up in the morning, even when it's raining and even when it's Friday. 
Oh, wow. Well, I think you'll have us all skip into, <laughs> into our classrooms next week for rem remembering how valuable it is to be an educator. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I think you're right. We just need high expectations and the best for all our learners, isn't it? Absolutely. So, same, same expectation for everybody. Why not? For everybody, exactly. Who, wow. who, am I, who am I to say that that child doesn't deserve the best? Exactly. Well, all I can say is your staff and your students are very lucky to have you at the helm there, Paul. Hopefully no more big uh, shocks that you have to deal with in your role over the rest of your career. But um, just thank you so much for giving up some of your Friday to come and talk with us. Um, it's been a real pleasure having you on Teachers Talk Radio. Have you enjoyed yourself? I absolutely loved it. I'll be honest, I, I was sweating when I couldn't get on and uh, I felt like that, that, that NQT and I thought, oh my word, I'm going into my first class and they all be sat there looking at me and I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, that's, that's the initiation and I'm pleased to say you passed. So oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and we've got some lovely comments. We've got um, David in the chat has just said really enjoyable. So uh, thank you so much, Paul. I wish you a wonderful weekend and I will just end by playing the news, uh, but hopefully catch up with you again soon, Paul. And I hope everyone has a really great weekend. Take care. Thank you, and thank you for your Bye. time. Bye. Take care, Paul. Bye. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff protecting careers this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news school suspensions featured in the guardian always a provocative topic according to analysis reported in the newspaper since the pandemic, disadvantaged pupils in England were 3.7 times more likely to be sent home than other pupils. The analysis was published alongside a separate survey of teachers who said that verbal and physical abuse from pupils had increased significantly post-pandemic. School suspensions have risen overall since COVID, up 30% in 2021 to 22, compared with 2018 to 19 but have gone up more sharply amongst disadvantaged pupils, up 75% versus 4% for non-disadvantaged. The analysis was completed by Who's Losing Learning on the latest available DfE figures for 2021 to 2022. Other groups who saw significant increases were children with social workers and children with special educational needs. The analysis also looked at geographical factors the increase in suspensions was highest in the East Midlands, up 57%, followed by the North West and North East at 34%. The survey of NAS UWT members found almost 9 out of 10 said the number of pupils exhibiting physically violent and abusive behaviours has increased in the last year, 
Almost three quarters of those surveyed cited poor socialisation skills following COVID restrictions as a key driving factor behind the rise in poor pupil behaviour. When asked for comment, the DfE said it supports head teachers to take the action necessary to promote good behaviour. The TES reports on further concerns around recruitment of secondary teachers in England. Figures obtained by the NEU and NAHT show ministers are on course to miss recruitment targets by 48%. Numbers in all subjects except history, PE and classics are below the national recruitment target. The figures for last month, the final month before teacher training courses begin, shows there were 13,788 recruits. This is short of the target of 26,360. Paul Whiteman, NAHT General Secretary, said the shortages meant more children were being taught either by teachers with no qualifications in the subject, by teaching assistants or by supply staff. A DfE spokesperson said there were record numbers of teachers in schools, up by 27,000 since 2010. But unions point out that the number of pupils in state-funded schools had risen at almost double the rate of teaching workforce. Special educational needs has been in the spotlight after reports in the media suggest that the government has signed a contract targeting 20% cuts to the number of new education, health and care plans. According to The Observer, the cuts emerged as councils across England face huge financial deficits on SEND. This is caused by rising demand and long-standing underfunding, they say. Part of the government response has been the launch of the new Delivering Better Value in SEND, which supports councils to bring down budget deficits via early intervention and teaching children with SEND in mainstream schools. The plan's design costs £19.5 million, but it suggests a reduced growth in the number of EHCPs, targeting at least a 20% reduction. Concern has been expressed by SEND campaigners around the legality of such an approach. Ministers have denied that a specific target to reduce EHCP exists and that it was completely wrong to suggest the DfE is withdrawing support for SEND. Finally, a feature article in The Guardian focuses on research into the impact of pornography on the lives of children and young people. Abby Wright spoke to 10,000 children between 2016 and 2022. They were aged between 6 and 22 and came from a range of backgrounds across the UK. Wright is a theatre designer and did the research as part of the creation of two new musicals. The feature article called Too Much Too Young is available online, but broad findings suggest that children as young as six are encountering porn online, often via pop-ups, but sometimes having been introduced to it by older friends or siblings. For nine to 11-year-olds, exposure to porn is frequent via platforms like YouTube. Children as young as 12 admitted to feeling like they were addicted to pornography. Teenagers feel that they learn more from pornography than sex education classes particularly those exploring their sexuality or gender identity. Pornography also appears to confuse the issue of consent, particularly for young women who feel if it is okay in porn, then it's okay in real life. Whatever our thoughts on such a sensitive and challenging topic, it seems clear that relationships and sex education needs to catch up quickly for a lot of young people. 
This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.